And so by a quick show of hands, how many of you are not ready for Christmas to be over? No hands, okay. Some of you, yeah. Right, Christmas is, is a fun time, right? There are certain traditions that go with it, particularly some of the Christmas music. I know in our household, we've still had some Christmas music playing even after December 25th, and I, I expect that'll probably continue at least until next week. And what we're going to do this morning is we're going to continue our Christmas series of sorts. We've been looking at a, at a study of the characters of Christmas. We started by looking at the birth announcement given to Mary through the angel. We then looked at a similar announcement given to Joseph. Christmas Eve, we looked at the shepherds. And this week, for those of you who want Christmas to continue, we're still talking about Christmas and we're looking at the story of the wise men. The wise men are actually, in some ways, some of the most surprising figures in this story of Christmas. If you're familiar with the nativity scene, in fact, some of us probably still have a nativity scene still up somewhere in our house or in multiple places in your house, if you're like our family. And you'll notice in that nativity scene, you have Mary, you have Joseph, you have the baby Jesus, you have the animals, and then you often have the wise men. And I would say of all the characters there in that scene, the wise men ought to stand out the most. Number one, would be that if we're to look at a strict chronological study of this story, the wise men really shouldn't be there. We're gonna find out that they come at minimum a year and a half to two years later. And so if you wanna be more accurate, you can put the wise men like really far off to the side on your nativity scene if you're interested in the historical accuracy of things. But of all the people to be at Jesus's birth of sorts or to come to see this newborn baby, the wise men stand out because they're the only ones that are of any sort of significance or important with regards to earthly standards. Mary and Joseph, they were nobody in the eyes of the world. The shepherds, as we looked at last week, were in many ways outcasts, and they had no social significance of themselves either. But yet, these wise men are so majestic in their outward appearance that we sometimes, even through some of the songs that we sing about them, call them kings that they were royalty, that they were significant, powerful um, people coming to visit some baby in this small town of Bethlehem. We sometimes lose the strangeness of this story given our familiarity with it. And so this morning, I want to look at this story, particularly the visit of the wise men that is recorded in Matthew verses 1 through 12. And I want us to really come away understanding two things. That one of the reasons why the story of the wise men may be one of my favorite Christmas stories is I think it illustrates most of all who Jesus is. And I'm hoping that by the end of today or this morning, this service, that you will see these two things yourself in a new and a fresh way. That as we look at this story and as we look at how the wise men come to visit Jesus, we recognize that Jesus is not just king of the Jews, but he is king of all kings. Secondly, that Jesus is worthy of worship. And so let us read Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, and we'll begin to dive into our passage. And so if you would, if you're willing and able, please stand for the reading of God's word. Matthew chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. 
And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy, and going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. This is the word of God this morning. You may be seated. And so to preach this text this morning, I'm just going to ask a, a series of questions and, and go through the text and give their answers. And first of those questions is, who were these wise men? Who were they? Well, there's a few things that we must admit that we do not know about the wise men. Things you may think you know, but nothing in the text nor in history would give us any indication that these things are true. First and foremost, we don't actually know how many wise men came to visit Jesus. Tradition would have it that there was three, and that may have come because they come bearing three gifts, but it may have been that there was a whole royal party of wise men coming to visit Jesus. It could have been two, it could have been one, could have been three, could have been a dozen or more. So we do not know how many came, and we do not actually know where they come from. All that we're told from this text is that they came from the east, which is a significant detail. This means that they are not from Israel. They are from outside Israel. They are from outside the people of God. They are Gentiles coming to see the birth of a Jewish king. And we do not know their names either. But there are some things that are of particular importance that we do know. Most significantly, I see, is that they're from the East, that they are Gentiles. And we can maybe guess as to where they may have actually come from. I think there is very good chance that they came from the region of Babylon, given the history that Israel had being in exile there. And particularly, as I'll mention later, the legacy and the impact that Daniel had upon, among a group of people in Babylon known as the wise men. But we do not know exactly where they come from. We just know that they come from the east. And we also know that they are not kings. They are magi. They are wise men. They are, in some ways, regal. They would be looking impressive. They would have been adorned with maybe some royal robes of swords. They would have looked out of place in a small town in Bethlehem. They would have appeared to be as if they were kings, but they were not kings themselves. They were, in many ways, royal dignitaries from another land. They would have been prestigious so prestigious that as they come, they would be able to entertain an audience with a king right away. Coming from maybe a wealthy, more powerful country, they were able to do that. And so, in many ways, what I envision, this may be true, this may be not, but what I envision, if you're familiar with the Disney movie Aladdin, when the mysterious prince comes into town, Prince Ali, there is this ruckus of who are these people? 
There's some sort of royal procession here, people of great importance. Where are they going? What are they doing? And the Magi said that they're coming to see the king of the Jews so that they can worship him. That is the reason and the purpose for their visit. This is striking. Why would these royal, powerful figures from a far-off land come to visit a small town with such great procession to visit this baby born in a manger, born to this man, Joseph and Mary? Why would they come and say that they've come to worship him? But nevertheless, this is what our text says. Matthew 2, as they come and they, they ask They say, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. These people of great importance and wealth and possibly power have come to worship a child. This is a a surprising thing. Surprising that foreign dignitaries would want to worship the birth of a foreign king of likely a less powerful nation, a nation controlled by Rome at this time. What I find most, most striking about this instance is I believe it's a preview of what is to come in the future. That these wise men are so wise that they know that this Jesus is not just king of the Jews. That this is the king who has been born who will be king of all kings, who is their king, though they come from a far land in the east. This is what scripture says of Jesus in Revelation. Revelation 19, verse 13 And speaking of Jesus, it says, He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. It goes on in verse 16 and says, On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of kings, Lord of lords. Though they had come from a different country, they had come to see their king. We've seen this repeated also as we've studied Philippians and as I've referenced it often in our meetings here, Philippians 2, 9 through 11, that this Jesus would be recognized by all peoples, not just the people of Israel, but by all peoples of the earth as the one who alone is Lord. Philippians 2, 9 through 11, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Every tongue will make this confession that Jesus Christ is Lord. Every knee will bow before him as God and one of the first tongues to confess and one of the first knees to bow were these wise men who had come from a far off country likely spent months, if not maybe a year or more, searching for this king, following this star, at great risk and at great expense to themselves. And they come and they worship him. Now I want us to keep this in mind, these royal, powerful figures, mysterious people from a far off land coming to worship Jesus. Contrast them with Jesus' own people with the other characters that we see in this story. King Herod and the religious leaders of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. How do they respond to this news of Jesus' birth? Well, let us first look at King Herod. Who was King Herod? King Herod, at this time, in a real physical sense, is king of the Jews. Though he is not a Jew himself, he is an Edomite, He was given power and authority to rule over the Jewish people by the Roman government. In many ways, he's a a bit of a puppet king, but nevertheless, a very powerful man. 
and one who was hungry for power, who craves power, and went to great lengths to protect his power. King Herod would be known for building many things, but he would also be known for being a bit of a paranoid king, a ruthless king. History would tell us that he killed his own wife and sons in order to keep his own power, not have any threat against it, that he wanted to be king forever. And so this news of a king being born, being brought to him by this wise man, you can understand to King Herod, is not good news at all. In fact, we see how he responds in verse 3 as these wise men bring news that a king is born to the Jews. Verse 3 says, When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. You see, he was troubled because he felt threatened by this news. But I find it interesting that all Jerusalem with him was troubled, likely because they knew how ruthless this king was. This king would go to great lengths, as we mentioned, to protect his own power. He had already killed his own sons and wife, and it would not be surprising to see a, another rampage go forth. In fact, that's what's recorded later in this story, that after hearing this news of a king being born, of a child being born, he seeks to snuff out any threat to his power. We read in verse 16, then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men because they do not reveal the location of this baby, became furious and he sent and he killed all the male children in Bethlehem in all the region who were two years old or under according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. You see, King Herod had done enough math to know when he asked when did the star appear that this child would have been two years old or younger. And so he went and gave an order that all the children born two years and under would be killed. A ruthless, ruthless king. And so he responds to this birth announcement of Jesus in a hostile way, trying to destroy any threat to his own power. But there are others here in this passage that I want us to look at, and that is of the religious leaders, that after the wise men come and they give news of this birth of the king of the Jews, King Herod then goes to his religious leaders, goes to the Pharisees, and says, where is this king to be born? And, and these, these two groups, the chief priests, who were they? The chief priests were those who were in charge of the worship of God in the temple, and the scribes were those who were the experts in what the scriptures say. And they, too, do not respond to this good news in the way that we would hope or want. In many ways, both of them are completely indifferent to this news. That they have some understanding of maybe what God's word says about this baby. They know that he would be born in Bethlehem. They know that this baby is, is the anointed one, worthy of honor and respect and, and possibly even worship, but yet they are completely indifferent. The chief priests, those in charge of the temple worship of God, fail to worship God, become a man. The Pharisees, who knew where Jesus would be born, the scribes, who knew where Jesus would be born, don't even go to see if these things are true. Their response is one of complete indifference. You see, these religious leaders, they rightly identify where Jesus was to be born, but are not moved enough to even go and visit him. Those you would expect to be the most excited of this news of a king to be born show no excitement at all, show hostility or indifference. 
I don't know if you've had this experience. I'm sure most of you have, right? We're all adults, and Christmas kind of changes over time. As you, as you get older, it becomes less a holiday about receiving and more of a holiday about giving. And some of the excitement for us as adults is not the opening of our presents, but watching those whom we love open the presents that we are giving to them. We want to see their excitement. We want to see their joy in receiving this good gift. But if you're like me, maybe you've had the experience of being excited to see someone get excited for a present and see them not actually be too happy with it because they were expecting something different or they didn't think they needed what you gave them altogether. I have a funny story of me failing to do this. It wasn't Christmas, it was actually Valentine's Day. And it was a Valentine's Day, I think, when we were either my wife and I were newlyweds or only been married one or two years, and I had the desire to surprise her with a really thoughtful gift. One in which, you know, she didn't even know she needed or wanted, but as soon as she saw it, she was like, how did you read my mind, right? And so I thought, and I thought, and I thought, and finally, it dawned on me. You see, my wife likes to take pictures. She takes lots of pictures. She takes so many pictures at this time, and the way pictures worked is they would fill up her phone, and then her phone wouldn't work, or she wouldn't have any more space to, to, to take any more pictures. So she would put those pictures on her computer, and then there would be so many pictures on her computer, then her computer wouldn't work right. And so the thoughtful husband that I was decided to get her a one terabyte external hard drive so that she could put all her pictures on that and be so excited. You don't think that's a good gift? No, it was actually a terrible idea. Um, many of you know that for Valentine's Day, you don't buy your wife computer hardware. I didn't know that at the time, I know that now. On Valentine's Day, your, your wife or your significant other is, is expecting candy, flowers, jewelry, possibly all three, but they're definitely not expecting an external hard drive, okay? And so my wife, being very gracious, you know, said, what is this? How do I use it? A little disappointed because she's like, I don't think I need this. Um, and this isn't really what I, what I wanted, okay? But if you'll ask her now, it turned out to be a pretty decent gift if you think really, really hard about it. And we do still use it to this day. Um, I tell this story because it illustrates two things. Receiving a gift that you didn't think you needed or wasn't what you expected. This was the issue for the people of Israel at this time. If you were to ask Herod, did... Did we need a new king? Absolutely not. He was king. And then also, if you were to look at the religious Pharisees and what they were expecting in this new king of the Jews that had been promised them, they were not expecting a baby in the manger. They were not expecting someone who would grow up, who would live a life without sin, and then would die on a cross for them. That's not what they expected, and that's not what they thought they needed but it would turn out that's exactly what we all needed. You see, each of the reactions to Jesus in this story represent the same sort of reactions or responses that we see to the news of Jesus even today. Like Herod, some people are hostile towards Jesus and who he is and what he's done. There are those who hate the good news of the gospel because it is a threat to themselves. It means that you are no longer king of your own life, but there is a king that you are subject to, that you have to recognize his authority. 
It means you have to acknowledge that you're a sinner. This is the stumbling block of many when it comes to the gospel. And in return, instead of looking to Jesus with love and affection and gratitude and faith, he is rejected and hated. Others are indifferent towards Jesus. Like the religious leaders. They know some things about God. They know the scriptures. But yet when presented with the good news of who Jesus is, they're indifferent. And the scariest thing of all is likely here in our regular gatherings as a church, it's usually a long shot that those who are hostile towards the gospel will make their way in here to attend one of our service. But it is very likely that those who are religious but yet indifferent to Jesus not only come here, but come here regularly. And there's a desire on my part for all of us to be sober-minded on how we look to Jesus. You may have attended church all your life. You may have sang worship songs. You may have read your Bible. But when it comes to this good news of Jesus Christ being born, the King of kings, the Savior of the world, if you're being honest, you're rather indifferent to it. And you're content to just continue to live your life as you've always lived it, not recognizing Jesus for who he truly is, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So you can be hostile, you can be indifferent, or you can be like the wise men and you can bow before him and truly worship him for who he is, our Savior, born to us. God become flesh so that he can make payment for our sins. And so, another question to ask of this text is how did the wise men even come to know about Jesus? How did they come to find him? You see, the passage tells us in Matthew chapter 2, verse 2, that they followed a star. Where is he who was born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. They were guided to Jesus by a star. A star that wasn't always there. And this, in distant lands and in, in places in the east, this was the purpose of wise men, that they were interpreters of dreams, interpreters of the stars. And it, at some point, they noticed a star that had not been there. And they had connected that star with some sort of promise or prophecy of a king being born. And how could this have possibly happened? Well, this is why I think that these men likely came from the area of Babylon that this in many ways is due to the legacy of Daniel, a wise man of wise men. If you're not familiar with the story of Daniel, he was a, an Israelite, a Jewish man, carried into exile to live in Babylon and was appointed over all of the wise men of Babylon because God had given him the ability to interpret dreams and to interpret signs and wonders. That at one point in the history of Babylon, King Nebuchadnezzar was very frustrated with his wise men because he was having a dream and they could not interpret it. And he was ready to kill them all in his frustration. But God gave Daniel the revelation. And Daniel interpreted the dream, saved the lives of all these wise men, and became um, prefect over them. This is recorded in Daniel 2, 48, the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. And so as the chief prefect over all the wise men, it's likely that Daniel shared why he was able to do these things. That the God 
of the Israelites, the God of the whole world was able to give him this revelation. This God also gave promises of a coming king, a savior who would be born, who, whose birth would be announced by a star according to Numbers chapter 24, verse 17. The word of God says here, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not, near a, or sorry, but not yet. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of Sheth. And so Daniel, with his great influence over this group of people in Babylon, likely taught them to be looking for a star for the announcement of this great birth. And 500 years later, here are these wise men at the birth, or two years after the fact, to see this happen. They were able to recognize this sign from the Lord. Matthew, again, it said that the star had appeared, which means that it was not there previously. It's in Matthew chapter 2, verse 2, it says, Where is he who was born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. So this is not just any regular star, it rose, and then it's also a star that seemed to move in order to guide them, because as they hear where he were to be born, and as they set off once again, we read in verse nine, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. This is a unique star. Stars don't do this, right? They tend to be stationary, minus kind of the... Um, maneuver of the earth and things like that, but stars don't move. And so what was this star? A number of years ago, there was much being made about the Christmas star, which was like the aligning of the planets to make some sort of really bright star. Could it have been something similar to that? Maybe. Some have hypothesized or guessed that maybe this was some sort of supernova event of an exploding star that appeared at just this time to help guide the wise men. Could it have been something like that? Maybe. Others, and I tend to lean this way, might suggest that this, what was looked to as a star, could have been the manifest glory of, li of the light of God, similar to the cloud that would lead the people of Israel by day and the pillar of fire by night and the wandering, that there was some sort of light produced by God to guide the people. We may never know what this is until we go to be with the Lord and we can ask him. But nevertheless, one thing is clear, that God was revealing and leading the wise men to Jesus. They weren't finding him on, his, on their own, but that God was involved in leading them right to where he was. And I believe this experience is shared by everybody who comes to Jesus one way or another. It may not be through following a light in the sky, but nevertheless, God goes before you and he leads you to himself. Jesus would talk about this in John chapter 6, verse 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. John 6, 65, no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. You see, God leads us to our King may not be a star, but it is God at work in your life. It wasn't a star for me. Instead, it was a stepmom who entered in our family when I was young, brought the whole experience of us going to church, was there to answer my questions about faith, 
what would happen to me when I died. And it was through that that I came to saving faith in Christ. And the same is true for all of you, whether that was a parent, a friend, a coworker, a preacher. God draws his people to himself. Many of you could reflect on your life and recognize the way God has brought you to himself, and I would encourage you to do so. There may even be some in this room or in times past who may feel God leading, leading you to him even now. Maybe you've strayed. Maybe you've never come to him in a real and saving way. Your miracle may not be a star in the sky, but just some random decision to come to church one New Year's Eve. It's not by chance. It is not by accident. God does this great work. He is the author of our salvation from beginning to end. So I would encourage all of you, if you've yet to come to Christ, be sensitive to the leading that God may be putting on your heart right now and make this the day of salvation. But for all those who have come to Christ, rejoice in your salvation, that it is not something that you did on your own, but that God had a hand in it before you may have even realized and praise him for it. So as we look to kind of the conclusion of this message, my last question this morning is, we answered, who were the wise men? How did they come to find Jesus? But now, what did they come to do? We've answered this in some ways already, but they came to worship him. Matthew 2.2, for we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. And when they finally see Jesus, what does it say in verse 11? And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. What an amazing sight. These rich, powerful men from a foreign country bowing down to a two-year-old of a poor family. See, the wise men knew that Jesus was not just king of the Jews, but that he was king of the world, and they worshiped him as God in the flesh. What I find most interesting, maybe even significant about this passage, is the wise men are the first people recorded in the Gospel of Matthew to worship Jesus. When we look at the announcement given to Mary and to Joseph and the shepherds, all of them come away praising God and marveling at what they've heard, but it is the wise men who worship the child, who bow down before him. What a picture. And so how did they worship him? We see that they bowed down, they honored him, and they brought him gifts, gifts worthy of a king. They bring gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And many have made much of the gifts that were brought and how they reveal who they believed Jesus to be. Gold being the most precious of metals, a gift fit for a king. They would bring such a kingly gift in some ways through their action declaring that Jesus is king. But what about the other two items? What about frankincense? Frankincense was an extremely valuable oil. One that was used often in worship. And so to present this child with a valuable oil that typically would only be used in worship may have given some indication that these wise men are recognizing Jesus not just as an earthly king, but as someone who is divine. And myrrh, 
another oil, not of the same value, but nevertheless quite valuable. Many have seen myrrh in the way that it was used as being an indication that they not only saw Jesus as king, they not only saw Jesus as divine, but that he was indeed a man. He truly was a human, not veiled in fl- deity veiled in flesh, but God and man. We would see myrrh used at the beginning of Jesus' life, presented to him as a gift, but we would also see it come up in scriptures again in his life. This same oil would be presented with Jesus as he was suffering on the cross, as it was mixed with wine. And it would also be used to prepare his body for burial, that he was a man born to die. And so they worshiped him. One of the reasons why I cherish and love this story of the wise men in many ways more than any other part of the Christmas story is because how they reveal who Jesus truly was. That for whatever reason, God had given them an understanding of who Jesus was that even exceeded his own parents at this young age, it would seem. These royal figures, these dignitaries, would come to see this king, king of all kings, that they would worship him as if he was divine, that they would present him with gifts that would one day kind of foreshadow what he came to do, that he would die for the sins of the world. It's amazing how full of a picture that these men had of Jesus when he was two years old. I have a two-year-old in my home right now. And so how full is your picture of Jesus? How do you look to him today? Maybe you know and recognize Jesus as just a man. Many in the world see this, few deny it, that Jesus was a historical figure, a man of great importance throughout history, but with regards to their life today, of very little consequence. Jesus was indeed a man, but he was also God. Maybe some of us in this room, in fact, I hope most of us, if not all of us in this room, know Jesus as God. Become a man. To take our place, to die on the cross, to bear our sin, that we may be forgiven. But is that all who Jesus is? No. Jesus is king. He is king of kings. Lord of lords, seated at the right hand of God even now. Which means he has authority. Matthew would end his gospel saying, in the words of Jesus, all authority has been given to him. That he is king over all. Is this your Jesus? Does he have authority in your life? Is he your king? Have you come under his rule? I'll ask again, what purpose did the visit of the wise men have? I believe it was to illustrate that Jesus was indeed this King of Kings and Lord of Lords, that he was King of the Jews, come to save his people. You know, there's only two places in the Gospel of Matthew in which Jesus is called King of the Jews. Here at the beginning, and he wouldn't be called the King of the Jews till the very end of the Gospel as his crimes were nailed to the cross behind him. We read in Matthew 27, 37, 
Over his head, they put the charge against him, which reads, this is Jesus, king of the Jews. And I would say, behold your king. Who would not use his power and authority to benefit himself like King Herod, but would lay aside those things so that he could take the cross for you and me. Behold, King Jesus, will you come and bow before him and worship him? Let us go to the Lord in prayer and contemplate these things together. Oh, Jesus, you are indeed King of kings, Lord of lords. And what a good king you are, a king who loves his people, who became one of his people, that he might save his people. And your people are not tied to one ethnicity, the Jewish people, the people of Israel, but it is all those who would believe who would be sons of Abraham. God, we thank you that we could be adopted into your family by faith as we receive you, Jesus, as the man who would die for our sins, as the God who would have the ability to pay for our sins, and as our king who would rule over our lives forever. Lord, if there are any here in this room who have yet to see you in all these ways, may they confess these things in the quietness of their own heart and be brought into salvation and fellowship with you. For those who may have strayed from you by neglecting these things of who you are, may they, brought in, may they be brought into closer relationship to you even now as they come before you in prayer. Lord, we want to be like these wise men who see you for who you truly are, who come and seek you out that we may worship you. Would you receive our worship even now as we begin to close this service? We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.